Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with co-host Joshua Morgan, customer advocate at Drift. Let me get him in here. Thanks for being here, Josh. Typically, we have BDEX's co-founder and CEO, David Finkelstein, but unfortunately, he's still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Luckily, we have BDEX's chief technology officer, David Wellborn, who we all call DW. Thanks for being here, DW. Um, and today's guest is John Badino, Global Partners and Alliances Leader at Treasure Data. Very lucky to have him here with us. Thank you so much for being here, John. Hello. <laughs> Great to meet you. Um, and if you don't mind, for all the listeners, could you please start from the beginning and tell us a little all about yourself, a story about yourself, but also a little bit about Treasure Data and how you guys are helping people there. Yeah, of course. Um, so I have a long history of, with data, technology, marketing, consulting background, and it all came together in this new world of, of data. And I had spent the last decade in, at Axiom deeply understanding consumer data and identity, the impact it has on brands, agencies, the ad tech and martech partners, and this is for both offline and digital use cases. And I think to give you an example, I was uh, fortunate enough to be involved in the earliest days of building out onboarding of first party data into the digital ecosystem to platforms like Microsoft, AOL, Yahoo, Facebook, MM, MSN. And so as you can you realize, a lot of things have happened with those companies over time and AOL and Yahoo became, <laughs> went on to change its name several times to be back to Yahoo. So but that kind of tells you something, the evolution of what's happened in the industry uh, over the, that decade. Um, and from there, I was able to engage in third-party data to be able to enable it everywhere across the digital ecosystem um, and worked across the entire value chain, integrating with publishers, platforms, the SSPs, DSPs, really understanding how these new identities um, really played into the, the ecosystem as we think about the challenges in the industry with third-party cookie deprecation um, and focus on mobile ad IDs. And so as the, the ecosystem evolved, we had to continue to stay educated and think about how do you enable data? How do you help brands think about data? Uh, and so then from there, I saw the industry was shifting. And, and so, and the more importance of first party data, and it was, we had brands uh, who are in CPG and pharma wanting to capture more of that data. So that's where I took a leap into the CDP space uh, and, and joined treasure data. And this is, gave me the ability to have a foundational platform that could improve and make it better, the, the use of data and identity um, and provide a platform that connected the, the digital direct marketing, as well as the technology areas of an organization. So they could be make more use and better use out of the first party data they collected. So they could communicate amongst one another and share ideas. So that's where I joined as the uh, VP of the Partners and Alliances, where I cover the Americas, EMEA and India. Um, and I also cover our technology partnerships so as we see the importance of integrating into the ad tech ecosystem, the MarTech ecosystem, um, working with data companies and providers as well, but then also those 
partners who implement. So the big systems integrators, the agencies who can leverage the power of what treasure data can offer. So who, who exactly is treasure data? Uh, treasure data is a SaaS technology company who helps enterprise and enterprises use all of their customer data to improve campaign performance, achieve operational efficiency, drive business value with connected customer experiences. So what does that mean? We help customers identify their data that they have, connect it together, do it in a privacy compliant way, gain insights, and then be able to activate on that data through digital and traditional channels and be able to measure that to prove success. Oh, that was all really great. Thanks for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. What do you think? Should we dive into our first topic? Oh, definitely. All right, I'll pull it up here. Josh, you wanna take this first topic away? Yeah, so um, John, I know that one of your loves is uh, the customer data, and I've, uh, I'm going to say data the correct way. I'm going to get on board with everybody else because normally I say data. But uh, and so you know, here at VDEX, we kind of we talk to like a lot of people about their first party customer data, like all day, and then we help businesses better understand kind of their first party data uh, as well to find more customers like their ideal deal customers deterministically. Um, so before we like dive more into like the Omni IQ and kind of what we're working on here, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from you on how you think businesses can make the most of their data. Yeah. So I think the key thing is as brands are starting to identify data or use first party data, what data do you have? And I don't think everyone really understands the data they have until they go in and really do the due diligence to understand that. And so, and this is all data that revolves around customer, both anonymous and known data. And it's important to do the inventory of that because once you know what you have, then you know what you don't have. And you also have to understand what could you potentially have and of capturing first party data. Because as we know, first-party data is the most valuable data that's out there. I just had a client today tell me it was 15x the return in their advertising campaigns when they were focusing on their first-party audiences versus third-party. So uh, it, it just shows that in its, since it's the client's data. So once you have that data, you understand and you're being able to capture it, now you need to standardize it and you need to cleanse that data. So that's really important just to be able to help support connecting together. So as we'll, we'll talk about identity in a little bit, um, but it just makes it so it's consistent, right? Phone numbers standardized into normal format, but then cleansing the data, making sure that it's, uh, you have emails in proper format, things like that. And, and then as you're, um, you're looking at that first party data, you definitely wanna connect it to, get the most out of it. So you can start seeing more attributes around, you have a single customer, all of those things that really give you that 360 view. Um, and once you then understand the data that you have, like the transaction sales data, product data that's associated with the customer, what they purchase, um, you want to enrich it and really to get a better understanding of, your, of their customers. And that is important to know from demographics, psychographics, there's some, um, some clients don't have robust uh, information on their customers. So they really need to be able to better understand to make decisions around uh, 
creative or from marketing and advertising, but also around product product choices. Uh, they also use, a, use it for insights, um, to gain insights just on behaviors. Um, if you start looking at longitudinal aspect of where people are moving, the, the trends as they, they have children, what's happening with them. And so all these use cases are, are they, these, how they use first party data and the importance of it is really bottom line is better understand their customers. Great point. Yeah. DW, I know that you've got some thoughts there on, on some of what John has added so far on the power of first party customer data. I mean, he mentioned enriching data. Um, so, you know, we could talk for hours just on that point alone. But what stood out to you, DW? Yeah, I know uh, we talk about like first party data a lot, you know, and, and, and the push before was third party data. And now it's all first, first party data. But we, we also um, have, um, you know, uh, it worked with um, the second party data, which we were, we were talking about right before the show. And really a second party data is a bunch of first party data put together in a way that's legit, you know, where, um, but um, I was asking John, uh, you know, uh, uh, how did he see this uh, panning out if, if, if it uh, does in the industry, you know, for a second party data? Um, that was one thing, and I'll have a follow-up question as well. Okay. Yeah, second-party data is becoming more and more popular. Um, there, was, there was a little pause and because of privacy and restrictions and, and brands wanting to not share their, their own first-party data. They had to make sure they had the right um, consent as they're capturing the data so that they could share it with other partners uh, to help support whether it's... Uh, marketing campaigns or being able to gain more insights. And what we're seeing is the importance of it because of having the partner to be more successful, um, taking similar binds, like for instance, an auto manufacturer wanting to work with an insurance company, being able to look at and do some co-marketing. Um, and, and as well as, as you see some transaction level data that, that's being captured for retailers uh, or CPG, so they can then really measure the effectiveness and be able to match that together. And what this is, what you may have seen in the industry is a lot more uh, talk about clean rooms and the, the clean rooms being able to enable this sharing of this data, which does things in a privacy compliant way. Uh, and so you're going to see a resurgence of being able to share the data, uh, second party data. Uh, because it does perform well, because you have trusted relationships, each of the brands have trusted relationships with their customers um, and can use that in new unique ways to add value for the end customer. Because that's really what it's all about is being able to provide value to that customer. Uh, Absolutely. When you say customer, you, you mean the actual purchaser, the actual consumer, The, the right? purchaser, yeah, the, the actual consumer, yeah, yes. Right, so the, yeah. uh, it, it's interesting because I happen to agree with that very, very strongly. It's like, uh, the value chain starts there, basically, and it works its way back. Mm -hmm. and, and in doing so, uh, in uh, serving them well, you actually serve your clients well as well, right? Yeah. And then you do well as a result, and, and the whole industry does, does well by, by doing the right thing for the, for the end, end consumer, right? Absolutely. So, I, um, I think someone's mic, I don't know if it's caught on like your shirt, DW, or something, but there was a little bit of fuzz there for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that me? Not you at all. I don't know. Oh, I, I may have touched my mic right here. So, Maybe. yeah. So uh, you said something. So 
very fascinating that that bit about second party data, but um, it seems like people are still trying to figure that out in the industry. And it sounds like you may have a head start on them uh, in that respect. Um, yeah. My my, uh, my other question was it has it goes back to something that you said earlier, and um, you know the very last step of of your engagement basically is is uh, to measure the results to prove success. And I'm I'm really curious about uh, how you do it, or, or if you could um, elaborate on that that part yeah. of it. Yeah. So proving the success of you, know, you have to have something that's measurable now because of data and making it easier to use across the digital ecosystem, um, you always want to be able to tie it back to something. What are your KPIs? What are your the, the results that you want to achieve? And I've heard ROI coming up in more and more conversations where they really have to prove ROI, especially in the e economic climate. Mm -hmm. And and so how do you do that? Um, a lot of the times it's around selling product for a lot of our customers. And are you seeing the lift that you're generating? Um, and so... How do you capture the data? So once you, if you're do, using first-party data to engage your audience, then there's impressions served. How do you capture that data and take that at the impression level or even at an aggregated level to be able to connect it so you can say, yes, this, this advertising drove these actions, these purchases, or these multiple advertising. They're through a, a, a journey and being able to know the touch points. How often did you touch the, the customer with, with marketing or advertising and then what what did they do and so you have to be able to connect it all together and that's important to have a consistent way of doing it to be able to test and learn and build up your knowledge knowledge base around the activities that you're doing and so that's from a measurement perspective i think it's critical because it uses first party data it uses potentially second party data as we have those companies who capture the, the transactions. And then it also leverages the identity as we'll get to, uh, how you can then connect it together to increase the, uh, the results that you see, or actually show you the accurate results so you can prove your ROI. I mean, that right there is probably a good transition right into identity. I have the hard job of having to like change the topics <laughs> here. Um, but Speaking of that, identity resolution for beginners and experts was our second topic. So John and DW, can you talk to us about identity resolution? I mean, first, just from a basic level, what is it? You know, that's always a big question I get. We have a whole blog on it on VDEX's website. What is identity resolution? You know, how is it used? And, you know, I feel some people may need it and not know it's a solution. So I'm curious if you could inform us of those pains people might be feeling if they need identity resolution. Then for our experts, you know, what should they be doing now to harness the power of identity resolution? So this is for both of you. So um, DW, I think John went first. So would you mind kicking us off on identity resolution? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, like, like, uh, like uh, Jesse said, I'm, I'm the, like, you know, I consider myself, you know, one of the code monkeys, basically. So I wish I could speak really intelligently about this, but from a technical a, a technical point of view, it's uh, it's uh, identity resolution is is uh, uh, connecting the dots uh, on the pieces of information that you have about about people, and uh, you may, you know, uh, find an email MD5, which is a hash of a regular email, 
uh, is associated with a mobile advertising ID. And um, you might find out later that that same email is, is associated with another device that the person owns. Well, now you've linked those two devices as a matter of fact. And so um, when you see, see either one of those, those mobile advertising IDs, you know that it's this, this uh, email MD5. And on top of that, uh, uh, people can have more than one email. Uh, email. And so you, uh, based on what you learn with the interactions with the person, you start connecting these 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 dots. So a, a, a graph is exactly that. It, it, just imagine this, uh, like, you know, when we were kids, we uh, play with Tinker Toys and you you put these things together and you have these round things with, with uh, stuck together with a bunch of sticks. And it's not necessarily a flat table. It's this very complex shape that you end up with. And so how do you, uh, you know, decide which is the best connection to use? And that, that is, that is uh, what identity resolution is all about right there. You have a lot of information, it's, it's interconnected, and then you use um, either machine learning or heuristics or other more uh, deterministic uh, methods to uh, determine which is the best path through this tinker toy and to uh, re uh, resolve the identity of the, of the uh, person that you're you're interacting with and don't know who it is yet, you know? So that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, and I, and I think when you don't have that right, some of the pain points that are gonna show up, I mean, they're gonna show up in various places. One- Big time. Some of the, yeah, some of the basics, just sales. Like you're not gonna connect with your customers. You're gonna have show, lower lifetime value, but where else you'll get it is your contact centers. So yeah, when you don't know who your, your customer is and you're, um, you've got duplicates, you're sending out duplicate information because you're not able to connect pieces of information together. So you'll start seeing comments coming. People like to tell you when you've got something wrong, right? And so you're looking across the social channels and seeing, yeah, because, and what's great is today is there is an expectation that, you, that brands know who you are. And when you when you don't have it right and brands don't have it right, then the, the there's a lot of places to be able to say that they don't have it right. And, and so that's where you're going to see some of these pain points showing up. Uh, also in um, inefficient media, you're not hitting the overall average metrics with engagement. Your match rates are going to be extremely low as you're connecting into the digital ecosystem. Um, and knowing if you're going to take your PII and engage and match it into Facebook, um, you may just have uh, lower match rates, or you may find in other in other platforms you'll see you'll have duplicates there. So why why cannot can you not identify those duplicates? So that's where you're going to start seeing it, and the pain and the pain is just extra expense, um, inefficient uh, spending, lower results, um, but it is easy to solve. It, it is and. Uh, I think some of the ways like what, what DW was saying, there are ways of connecting those IDs together. Um, but for the, I think for the, the most basic is one, collect the data as we were talking about, collect that first party data, standardize it. Uh, so then you can match it deterministically. Deterministically just saying, does this email equal this email? Does this ID equal this ID? Great. And using your first party data to do that, that's important to get that right. And then say, okay, well, why is the data, some data not matching? 
is your match rates sitting within industry norms or what you're seeing? And if not, go look at the data you're collecting. Go find out if you're collecting email and you're getting Mickey Mouse at gmail.com. Well, your or customers worse. Getting, or worse, yes. <laughs> We've seen much worse. We've seen much worse. <laughs> and you're like, why are you asking for that information? What's the value exchange? Are they giving you dirty data? Because you know what? They just don't want to give you the accurate information. So look in, so in, upon yourself as opposed to jumping right into cleansing it with a third-party provider. Just understand it first, your problem. Then as you get more advanced, um, and then you can start looking and using uh, licensing third-party uh, identity graphs. You can license even mapping and matching tables that have ID to this ID to this ID. Um, you can also look at probabilistic matching and there's ways to do algorithms that support uh, being able to say Bob is Robert um, and being able to apply specific rules that will enable you to match a, a name at a to an email at a high probability based on how that email is constructed um, and the, the popularity of that name. Uh, and then as you even get more advanced, it's levering, leveraging the third-party data knowledge base approach where you have non-discoverable uh, information that can help you match email to a, a phone number or from a maid to another ID. And that just gives you then more confidence that those that that information is connected together. And again, that will help you reduce duplicates, um, increase your accuracy of, of who you're communicating with, make sure that you have the ability to household better because you know where they live. Um, so a lot of benefits from being able to do this. But if you don't know the value early on around what that incremental lift gives you. What does identity resolution help support to move from a 30% match or uh, connection rate to a 35? Then you need to measure that first because then you know how to invest to, in, to match it into the 60, 70%. Yep. Right. Great point. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, people license, you know, uh, um, providers you know mm -hmm. maybe more than one you know to do identity resolution and um, I was wondering if you could speak to the impact uh, on, on an identity graph of bad data yes <laughs> yeah bad data it's sometimes you don't you won't always know if you have it so that's where you need some someone to help you out to be able to understand why it's not working uh, but the impact of bad data is I mean, where the worst is, is you're connecting with the wrong person. You're sending personalized messages to someone who is not that person. And when it's so far off, it, it becomes, um, and especially if in, it's in the, the direct marketing world, you, you'll, lose, you'll, you'll lose the confidence of that brand, especially if you're a, um, a loyal customer. Um, so that's where you can get it wrong. And it can have a significant impact. And yeah, uh, so yeah, that's yeah. that's called the RBT, I believe. A really bad thing. Or other so, choice words, yes. So so let's say all the data that you're getting for the identity resolution is accurate. Okay. Uh, how much of that do you think is actually coming from bots or or some other kind of ad ad fraud? 
Yeah, and this is going to be in, in different ecosystems. So there's different levels of that, depending if you're in, in ads being served and who they're targeting. If you're a publisher, how much is coming to your site? So it'd be hard to say exactly how much that is. Uh, it all depends on how you're capturing it, knowing the source of the data that you're getting is really key. And so doing that investigation and understanding and then finding trusted partners that actually capture data ethically and will reveal like, how do they act, how do they collect their data? And is it the right consent? Is it accurate? Um, as opposed to just finding data everywhere, scraping certain data to, to be able to enrich it. And, and I've got to say again, not, no data is hundred percent accurate. We, we all know that. Uh, so you can't go in knowing that. You always have to do, what are we going to do to get incremental, uh, incrementally better? Right. Um, and a, awareness of, of how far off are you is, yes, is, is key as well. Right. Great point. What do you think? Should we get into our third topic? This is definitely one of my favorites. Josh, you usually kick us off on this one. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so let's talk favorite tech tools. And um, so for you, like personally, for your team, for your business, um, what are your favorite like five top tech tools that you use, softwares that make things more efficient and productive and anything that we can kind of like tag in the comments? Oh, yeah, that's uh, for me and what I do working with partners, it's communication is key. And with a team, especially a team that's uh, across different countries and time zones. Uh, so I'd say the number one thing is Slack. Slack is a key tool. Uh, it enables you to be responsive. It, it, it has a lot of different functionalities even to put in ticket ticketing. And so love Slack. Um, the next is how do you share information? Um, sharing information is key and having knowledge base. So we uh, confluence um, to be able to support capturing that information, having it in, out there so you can share that. Um, but then as you also look at how do you make sure you can share information with partners or, or clients and Google Docs. I mean, Google Docs, it makes it easier because I'm on my phone a lot. How I can enter things into my phone and be able to have it go pop up on my desktop, be able to do all of the different capabilities um, with keep just to quick notes to google docs to um uh, the spreadsheets and presentations and be able to quickly pull it up and get uh feedback from the team uh, around as we're, we're working through it and uh, progressing and developing and continuing to build best practices and then i think if, if you go back to just old school email and text like just keeping it simple um those are just excellent tools to have may not be as responsive on email as I'd like to be, but uh, I think that's in the, this day and age, it's uh, emails are still a valuable way to communicate and, and, uh, and text messaging as well as you want to get somebody's attention and across the team. And even with my, and my personal side with my, my kids and uh, my wife being able to text them and, uh, and then just sometimes just pick up the phone and call people. So, I mean, the phone, which what is a phone anymore? Uh, I think that's an excellent tool that we've got now uh, that I don't think we use it enough. We rely on some of these other tools too much. Just get on the phone and talk to someone. And then I actually, I also have to say now from a business perspective, uh, we're using treasure data CDP within our own business to actually gain insights 
Um, so yeah, you, you take your own medicine and it, it's, it's amazing to see the, that using the machine learning to understand as we're as, as an organization and, and sales and to get the insights that we can have. And so it really helps you understand then even some of the challenges that your, your customers have as they're using it. Um, but also the power of it with the insights that you can gain. So that's the, I would say one of the tools that, uh, one would be the most important for our business to use uh, and uh, and grow from. Yeah, it's very smart because you know then you you get used to using it and it's it's easier to you know sell and market and understand to communicate with your customers, help them succeed because then you know how to succeed. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for sharing some of your favorite tools in your tech stack. Did you, know, did, did did you ever tell us your favorite tools? Well, uh, I, I don't, I, um, it's really tough to like ch choose just a couple because, uh, it, I, I, I've got a funny story. I, I was in a meeting one time when, when, uh, this, this expert was, was saying how, you know, we should, uh, standardize on, a on, um, IDE for uh, programmers. They should all be using the same IDE as a integrated development environment. And I'm like, really? So I turned to one of our brightest. Uh, he's a big shot at Amazon now. But I look, looked at this kid and I said, hey, Carlos, you're going to have, you know, out of the four or five that you use, you got to stop using a, you know, four of them. And, and my point was this, is like um, each, each of those tools did, did one. It was all Java, okay? But they all did some part of Java really well. And he, he ended up using all of them. So I don't have like one, one uh one one tool that I like, but uh, as far as communication goes, I, I love Slack. Um, I have to agree on that one, and uh, it's just a, a natural tech tech shops communication tool. Uh, it's easy to integrate with things. It, we we we, sh we funnel all of our uh, alerts there. Uh, all of our heads up go there. Um, uh, production changes show up there. Things like that. It's 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 very nice. I I do like that. As far as uh, communication or a, a sharing of information, we're, we're very big on markdown. Uh, it's also very tech easy, you know, we can do a documentation very, very quickly using something called markdown, which Confluence supports uh, locally. All right, but as far as, uh, you know, you know, one size does not fit all as is what I'll say. So we use a lot of the Amazon stack and, and at uh, BDEX and uh, behind the APIs may be different technology, okay? And it, it just depends what you're trying to do. I think it goes back to what John said very early on when he was starting to talk about this, is that uh, his, um, their clients show up and say, I, I want to do this. And, well, what data do you have? You know, what data do you need? And the third thing is, what are you trying to do, right? And it, it, that's more important than the actual how you do it the what you want to do is more important than the actual how mm -hmm. and so how you know we end up using uh, your node.js and python for for machine learning and SageMaker and things like this but is you have to have very clear what it is you want to do uh, throwing data and machine learning algorithms without any thought in mind it just produces chaos and doesn't really produce any value so you have to be very clear as to what, what you're what you're working towards. That's 
that's the best I can answer that. Uh, we'll always use the best tool for the job. <laughs> Great so, point. What I, John, what I, what I love about your list is typically we get like this tech stack list and like you came out swinging with like just normal <laughs> everyday practical tools that most of us use. Now I have a question about Slack because there are a lot of people that absolutely love Slack and now coming from like, like kind of a nerdy, like role-playing game, like background, we always, we always use line to chat. And, and Slack is very much like line. So what I'm curious about, what is it about Slack? And we use Slack at, at Drift and stuff, but what is it about Slack specifically that makes it superior compared to like a line or a WhatsApp or like a, other messaging platforms? So I, I do use WhatsApp personally for connecting with others internationally and keeping it yeah, in groups and stuff. So, um, mm -hmm. but I would say with Slack one, because it's the, our corporate tool, but two, because you can build the workflows on it and it mm -hmm. makes it easier to do that. And now they've added in huddle. They've added in the ability to do uh, a, a quick um, call uh, call. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a video call. So it, it makes it quick to communicate with someone um, I do think then my phone, having it on my phone and my computer, how it syncs really easily and seamlessly yep. because I'm not, yeah, I, I definitely like the, the desktop side where I can have it open and being able to do my, what I need to do. I spend a lot of time in Slack. Um, so yeah, I think the added functionality and capabilities um, and a lot of our partners have them. So it makes it easier to just communicate on a, a, a and a quick base ask a quick question um, with partners as well so that flexibility is really important absolutely i like the channels too i don't know if those other ones have channels like that but you know i'm in a couple different communities mm. communities you call them you know like well there's there's the bdex you know yep. um, channel and then there's like other companies will have different channels and they can invite people in like and marketing agency, for example, I follow, they have like 2000 marketers in there and they're always sharing all this value. And I have a question I can go ask, you know, some of those 2000 marketers in there, they have different channels. So, you know, like if my question is copy related, I can go into the copy channel, talk to copywriters or, um, so I don't know, I feel like it's organized communication, but then like you guys are saying from a technical standpoint, like the dev team is able to give us alerts when like the machine does certain things, you know? So like, that's really awesome as well. Mm -hmm just creates a level of transparency that I, I don't know, I haven't really seen anywhere else, but um, Josh, have we, we ever said, what, what's your favorite tech stack tool, Josh? <laughs> I honestly, I haven't really thought, put too much thought into it. When we, when we first started kind of this round of questions, it was like, if you could only grab five tech toys to take with you, your house is on fire. Like, what would it be? You know, because I was always inspired when I was on like the Android forums where they would do like the editors, they go, what's your five favorite toys? And they, you know, away from like tech and a lot of them were like, oh, I love taking pictures. So I have this camera and stuff. But um, I, I think currently probably it's it's going to have to be in the docs, you know, the Google docs. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go Slack site also just because of how, you know, it's, it's, it's seamless. It's easy. Like it's real time. Um, my DVR, I know that's not really a tech tool, but <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And honestly, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to put my cell phone on there just because it's so all in one at this point. Like I can, I can play video games on it. I can respond in Slack. I can, I can look at when it's time for, to look at the script for deconstructing data. I can, I can, you know, the script for that I can connect on LinkedIn, you know? So, um, you know, I connect with my kids, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm going to have to go with, with, with the cell phone, honestly. Um, and what will probably be my last favorite tech tool once I get it set up is going to be my green screen. Uh, yeah, just, I was, I was told on it cause uh, I was talking to uh, Eric and, um, and Rebecca about it. And I go, I go, yeah, but I want something cool like, you know, Optimus Prime fighting a panda bear. And like Rebecca goes, hold on one second. And she popped up a couple graphics and she goes, you can put this on a green screen. And I was like, sold. This is going to be great. Yeah. I don't know. If I had to pick just one, I'd say HubSpot. I live in HubSpot, so that would be mine. But um, thanks, everyone, for sharing on, on TechStack. Um so I guess, you know, we've got seven minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and ask one of our post-topic questions, if you don't mind. Um, and I'm just curious what you both think the future of ad audience building has in store for advertisers. So who wants to, you want to go that? first, John? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Um, so I think this ties into what's happening in the industry. It's like the capturing of first-party data um, what's the ad audience building is shifting toward the brand and wherever audiences are being built. Because it's if you think about the ad ecosystem, it, audiences can be built uh, across the entire value chain. And you look at the publishers, they can run at lookalikes, you can do it. And the, the SSPs, now select audiences, you can do it. Uh, DSPs and onboarders have audience, ways to build audiences and select their agencies can do it as well and be able to distribute in the brands and what i'm just seeing is as you're capturing more and more first party data you don't need as much uh, to rely on the data that's out into the ecosystem you can control what you're managing and how you're building it and so what i'm finding is you're also centralizing that within a team who understands all the privacy restrictions and and uh, making sure that you're using it pro the data properly, even as you're you're getting into some of uh, the the how the audience is. If you're from a uh, the com being compliant, we're not using race and gender, and, and so for campaigns, so audience building is coming into a centralized team. It's going to be more controlled by the brands, and they're going to control the audiences that go out. And there may be overlays on that to add value. Um, to further segment that you'll get throughout that value chain, but the power is coming back into the brand. Great point. What might you add to that, DW? Well, um, I think, you know, the words that I kind of heard in, in between there as, I, as my brain was uh, inserting them was um, I kept hearing ultra local. You know, they used to say this about, about the, the tendency for things on the internet that, that uh, you know, first, you know, an app for everybody, but or, or a website for everybody. But then, there's been this move to niche, you know, niche uh, markets, and then very ultra local type type stuff. Uh, you know, before an audience was nationwide. Here's everybody that will do blah. You know, but that that might not necessarily fit uh, your brand. You know, needs and um, 
audiences can be very tailored to the brand uh, nowadays without you having to buy um, these more generic lists, basically. And um, you end up getting uh, better targeting and a better ROI. And I, I, yeah, I I agree. And I, good, you said how it can be just an audience of one, right? And so how do you get it? So eventually you get there where it's all programmatically done and everything is automatically built and sent out and you don't need human intervention to build audiences where we're not there yet. Um, but that's the eventual goal and being able to have real-time data to support a storytelling through ads to be able to make sure it's the right place, right time and, and being able to do that. And so eventually you, you get to that point, but in the, in the meantime, um, yeah, the, it will be a little bit more, more targeted um, as long as the creative can be with dynamic creative optimization and being able to automatically create differentiated creative, you can get, start getting smaller and smaller audiences. Uh, Great point. Well, I think we've reached that point in our show. Sorry, Josh, didn't mean to hide you there, but real quick for <laughs> anyone as I'm closing, but um, are you on Spotify? So if you are, we're now on, well, we've been on Spotify for a while, but we're on Apple Podcasts and several others. Head over to bdex.com and you can see all the different places you can find the Deconstructing Data Podcasts. Um, also, if you find the Deconstructing Data Podcast interesting, you might like checking out BDEX's Omni IQ. So you can visit BDEX.com or just use this QR code here um, and, you know, just try our, our free version. You can simply upload a CSV of your first party customer data and see complimentary analytics on, you know, gender, household income or birth year. Um, it does all that and more if you check it out. So please be sure to share any feedback. It's new and being molded. So, you know, your feedback is really helping to drive it. So, you know, we'd love to hear from listeners. So please send any and all feedback that you might have to info at bdex.com. Put that on the screen here. If anyone wants to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, this has been a great conversation. We really appreciate your time, John. Thank you for coming out and speaking with us and sharing knowledge with our viewers and, um, Josh, DW, it's always great to hang out with you too. So Likewise. thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Pleasure. All right. I'm going to go ahead and close out. So everybody right. have a great night. Bye now.